Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. Now, in continuation of our study, remember how last week in chapter 3, uh, uh, verse 26, how Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not through the law. Not through the law in any way, shape, or form. Because remember, the just shall live by faith. And so, Paul says in verse 27, last week from Galatians 3, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor, uh, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what does that show us? Remember how the law is what's sandwiched in between the promises, the promise to Abraham, but then the fulfillment of the promise through the seed, Jesus Christ. And so a lot of times there's uh, the seduction of the Hebrew roots movement of, hey, let's, let's, let's do the law. Let's perform the works of the law. What is written in the Torah, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And so you see a lot of these messengers of Satan. They, they come in as the preacher guys. Remember when we studied 2 Corinthians? They come in as the preacher guys. But what do they do? And not just in 2 Corinthians, but remember in uh, Galatians chapter 2, the pseudodelphos, the false brethren. They look like brothers. They speak Christianese. But what is it they're, that they're doing? And Paul says in chapter 2, verse 4, they, they come in by stealth. They come in secretly. They're smuggled in. Why? That they might bring us into bondage. You see? It's a very, very, very dangerous. Now, they come in as the preacher, guys. They look like, you know, they speak Christianese. Everything's fine and dandy. But what is it that they're speaking? You see? Now, if you're not a Berean, if you don't study the scriptures and you don't have the knowledge from scriptures, you're going to take the bait. That's why you hear us always say, always, always, you must be a Berean. Study the scriptures, of course, to show yourselves approved as the Bible teaches us. But at the same time, remember that knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And with this knowledge, we have this understanding and not just the understanding, but you know how uh, with knowledge and then all of a sudden how the Holy Spirit adds more and more and more. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But then at the same time, then when you, with this knowledge, you have this equipping, this ability to identify, well, wait a second. This guy looks like a brother. He speaks Christianese. He looks like the preacher guy. But what's coming out of his mouth is a lie from the pit of hell. You see? With this knowledge, you have this understanding of, wait a second, this goes against the Bible. Yes, the Bible uh, says these things in Deuteronomy. Yes, the Bible says to do these things in Numbers and Leviticus, but that's the law. You see? Now, remember how you hear us, hear us mention, like in, in our study last week and in previous weeks. Now, if you are lukewarm, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ 
and you're lukewarm. You have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Satan is going to attack you and he's going to come after you, not using scripture. He's going to come after you using the sex, the drugs, the strippers, the pornography, all kinds of things of the flesh. He'll lure you with the flesh, you see? And that's if you're lukewarm. That's it. like if, if you're not mature in Christ. Satan's going to come at you with the crack, the meth, the finest weed from Chiapas, Mexico. He's going to come at with you with the things of the flesh because you're carnal. That's the danger of being young in Christ. Now, it's beautiful to be young in Christ. A beautiful, beautiful baby, you know, speaking naturally. A beautiful baby, you got the... The, the the baby bottle, you know, they do their little burps. And everything's nice and cute. But then what if you see a 40-year-old male, a 35-year-old male still wearing diapers with the binky, with the bottle? It's like, wait a second, that's kind of gross. That's disgusting now, you see? So yes, being a baby is beautiful. But now being a newborn believer, now a Christian must grow and mature and lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us as is written in Hebrews. You see? And now Satan, he's going to come at you with the crack. He's going to come at you with the sex, the pornography, the strippers, all kinds of things of the flesh. And it's not going to work because you're maturing in Christ. You're not going to take the bait. That doesn't mean that Satan stops the fight there. Now he comes at you with scripture. He comes at you with the Bible, using the Bible, you see? And he'll use, you know, just as you hear us mentioned last week, you know, if, you know, you say, oh, the Lord is speaking to my heart. If it's New Testament, it could be Satan. It could be Satan. If it's New Testament, it could be Satan. Now, remember, he comes out, he, he comes uh, presenting himself as an angel of light. You have to be aware and fully cognizant of where are the, it is also written, you see? Are there any other it is also written? Remember how Satan tried to tempt Jesus Christ, our Lord himself? He says, stand up at the top of this roof and if you jump at the top of the pinnacle of this temple and if you jump down, it is written, the angels will bring you down safely. What does Jesus Christ say? He said, well, you know, that's true. The Bible does say that. So here, I'm going to climb up on the top of the top of the pinnacle of the temple and I'm going to jump down because, you know, the angel of light told me so. No, Jesus Christ says, it is also written. It is also written. You see? Very important because Satan, he'll come at you using the Bible. Now, if you're carnal, if you're lukewarm, if you're a baby Christian, he won't come at you with scripture. He'll come at you with, you know, the sex, the drugs, the strippers, the pornography. He'll come at you with the crack and the things of the flesh because you're carnal. You're fleshy, fleshly, and he'll lure you with that. But once you grow, you mature, and you, you, you have this knowledge, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You love the Lord. You fear the Lord. Now Satan's going to attack you using scripture. Remember how in our study in Numbers in the Old Testament, remember how Balak as a type of Satan? How many times did you hear us say, consider Balak as a type of Satan? Remember, he wanted to get Israel to fall. And what did he do? He, he learned through the counsel of Balaam. He Through the counsel of Balaam, he learned in order to get Israel to fall, I don't, I don't have to attack them with my mightiest warriors. I got to get them to deny the Lord, you see? And so how does he do that? 
Instead of sending the warriors down, he sent the women down. And you think like, okay, that's a sin. You know, he sent the women down. There was the intermingling, which is, you know, intercourse. It's uh, 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 intercourse sexually, physically, but then also spiritually. And that's bad in itself. But then now these ladies, they say, okay, now I'm going to go worship the Baals. I'm going to go worship Baal now. And what did the guys do in the camp of Israel? Hook, line, and sinker. Okay, let's all go worship the Baals. You see, let's go worship Baal. And instead of bowing before the Lord, what do they do? They bow before Baal, you see. And that's how Balak had victory. Yes, he had victory. You see? It's so... When we study the Old Testament, we must study the Old Testament through the lens of the New Covenant, standing on the rock of the New Covenant, Jesus Christ. The Pentateuch, the Torah, the five books of Moses, the first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Very, very beautiful books. But remember that Exodus... Uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those are, even, those, five, those four books of the five, those are sandwiched between Genesis and the New Testament. You see? So consider the, the very Bible that we study, the Word of God. The very Bible itself. I mean, you, you, with your left hand, you hold Genesis. With your right hand, you hold Matthew to Revelation. And what do you have in the middle? You have the prophets and the minor prophets. But then you also have four books of Moses. And it's in the middle. It's in between your left hand and your right hand. You see? Don't forget the promises. The promise that God gave to Abraham. No law. No Ten Commandments. The only law was the law of circumcision you see and as new covenant believers we know that circumcision is belief you see belief faith and it was accounted under abraham for righteousness sake you see pre-law no law just the law of circumcision it's very dangerous because these preacher guys they come into churches smuggled in and they start to say, well, you know, Jesus Christ was Jewish. So therefore, we got to do these Jewish laws. We got to do what's written in Le Leviticus and Numbers. But they don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. But what they do have, service unto their father, Satan. Service unto their father, the devil. Because he wants bondage. Because Satan knows he's going to burn in hell. And what he wants to do, you know, unbelievers, he's got them. Satan's got them. Now, the believer, Satan says, okay, I got to kill the believer. If they're young, if they're babies in Christ, remember 1 Corinthians, when we studied 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, look, I came to you guys as babies and it's we're three years in. You're, you're three years old. And I gave you milk when I first came in. And you know what? Three years deep, I still got to give you milk because you're still babies, which isn't a good thing. That wasn't like, you know, wow, you're still babies. You know, good job, guys. No, he's, do I applaud you in this? No, I don't applaud you. Remember he says that? 
later on in the, in, in the book. But do I applaud you in this? No, because they're carnal. See? It's very important because babies in Christ are very vulnerable. Now, there is beauty to vulnerability, but it has to be completely and fully wrapped around protection, you know, maturity. I like to think of elephants because, you know, you see the elephants and like the, a pack of lions come and they think, wow, you know, I can't eat the I can't eat a big elephant, but I can eat. We can attack this little baby over here. A beautiful, beautiful baby elephant. We, we, this baby elephant, piece of cake, we can take him and we'll drag him away and we'll kill him and we'll have a big fat feast. But you know what the big elephants do? They wrap, they encircle the babies. They wrap around the babies and then you have these big legs like big humongous tree trunks and the lions can't penetrate. You see? They protect the babies. And that's what needs to happen in the church because a baby in Christ is so incredibly beautiful. But that baby is vulnerable. You see, and that's what's happening because you have pastors, so-called pastors, because you have elders, so-called elders, and their doctrine, their mantra, I say, and I say mantra on purpose is, oh, let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. No, the wolf, the lion might come in. And when that messenger of Satan comes in to the unsuspecting baby says, okay, let's Let's start doing these things in Leviticus. Let's start doing these things in Deuteronomy. Because look, open your Bible to Deuteronomy. It is written, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got a little bit of this, a sprinkle of this, a sprinkle of that. And the unsuspecting baby says, you know what? It is in the Bible. Look, I got my Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. I open up to Deuteronomy and the Bible does say that. You see? And the babies fall for it. Those who are mature, those who have the knowledge of the word of God, a gift of the Holy Spirit, those who are Bereans and search the scriptures, those who study the scriptures to show themselves approved and they know the Bible. Just as Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 6, he says, some of those who seem to be something, you know, they, they seem to be the big shot. You know, Mr. Big Shot, they come in, they got their degrees, they got their masters, they got their doctorate in theology, and they want to say, hey, let's do the things in Deuteronomy. And Paul says, from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. Paul's, I don't care. They have their, they have their doctorate. Who cares? I don't care. Does what they teach align with the Bible? They got their degree at, you know, whatever seminary, which I call cemetery. And they say, oh, let's do the things in Leviticus. Let's do the things in Deuteronomy. That's nice. That's nice. I'm not going to do that. You see? And Paul says it right here. Remember, in verse in chapter 2, verse 4, their, their whole goal is to bring Christians, saints, into bondage. Are they brothers? No. They're false brethren. He says in verse chapter 2, verse 4, false brethren. Pseudadelphos. They're fake. They are phonies. They look like Christians. They speak Christianese. They, you know, they, uh, they, they, they praise the Lord. Hallelujah. They speak Christianese. They know the Bible. 
You see? Oh, let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. Well, look, look how God takes care of things. Yes, he cleans house, but he uses his vessels. Now, God cleans house himself, but that, you don't, you don't want to get there because that's straight up judgment, wrath, Old Testament and New Testament. When God cleans house, he uses his vessels, Old Testament, New Testament. And he uses vessel Paul. And in Corinth, he used vessel Paul, you know, vessel uh, Chloe, all these beautiful people. And Paul says in chapter 2, in, in, in verse 6, they seem, you know, they, they say, Mr. Big Shot comes into town. He, they appear to be something. They seem to be something. They got the degrees. They got the masters. They got the doctorate. They got the bachelors in theology, all this, whatever. But he says in verse 6, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Is Paul boasting? Not at all. They seem to be something. They got the degree. They got the bachelor's. They got this. They got that. But what are they teaching? What are they teaching? This guy thinks he's a brother. This lady thinks he's a brother. But what are they teaching? The preacher guy comes in and says, Okay, I'm going to teach this. We Let's go back and do the things of Leviticus. Let's go back and do the things of uh, uh, Deuteronomy. Paul says, no, you're not a brother. You're a false brother. You're a pseudodelphos. You see? And these people are brought in secretly in verse chapter 2, verse 4. Secretly brought in by stealth, you see? And their whole purpose at the end of verse 4, that they might bring us into bondage. You see? Pastors aren't protecting the flock of God. Elders are not protecting the flock of God. Why? Because of their defunctness. Just as we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Those things should have never happened. Remember I told you about my love-hate relationship with Corinth? My love-hate, I, I love them, they're saints. I hate the works of the flesh that these things had to happen. But then I also love that it did happen so that we can learn. So that's my love-hate. My, you know, it's it's like, wow, you know, I love this, but wow, I really hate this. And I love this, but wow, I really hate this. And here we are in Galatians. Not, not the same battle. Satan doesn't come at Corinth with, you know, the... Uh, the, the Bible. He comes at Corinth with the works of the flesh, which Paul says, okay, because these guys are babies and they want to stay babies and they're not maturing, now separate from them. You see? And now Galatians, they're more mature in Christ, but now Satan comes at them, not with the thing, you know, not with the sex and the drugs and the pornography and all these things. He comes at them with the Bible. And these pseudodelphos, messengers of satan come in and say okay let's go back to the law let's do deuteronomy let's do let's do, do uh, uh, leviticus and numbers now of the hebrew roots movement people the teachers that i know very rarely will they teach from genesis very very rarely will they teach from genesis and if they do teach from genesis it's it's always 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 from the lens of deuteronomy 
Never from the lens of the new covenant. Never. And these teachers of the Hebrew roots, a large concentration, a very high populace of the so-called teachers of the Hebrew, root, Hebrew roots movement, they are very, very, very perverted and sexual. You know why? Because they like the concubines. They like the, you know, a wife over here, a wife over here, and a little side over here, and a little side over here. They're perverted, disgusting creatures, messengers of Satan. You see, they do the wife sharing. If if you're in Hebrew roots, that's not just a step in the wrong direction, but that's step one towards a cult. Hebrew roots. You see, it's step one towards the, not the occult, into a cult, which could lead into the occult. So, oh, you're too mean. How could you say that? Well, Paul says it. I'm just a messenger. You know, I'm just a messenger. Paul says it. He teaches it. We have to understand what the law is. You see? And that's what we studied last week. You say, well, why does it say? In chapter 3, where we looked at chapter 3 in verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added. You see? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, till the seed, capital S, you know what the seed is? Jesus Christ. I should say, you know who the seed is. Jesus Christ, to whom the promise was made, the promise to Abraham and the seed all through that lineage. And then all of a sudden, all through the line, you know, the, you see the, uh, the law, the law was the additive. And now you have the seed. You see, the law was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. Now, you and me, we live in a day and age where the seed is here. The seed has come. You see, 2,000 years, give or take a couple years. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, born of a virgin. And Paul says where we ended last week in verse 29, chapter 3, Galatians he says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise, not according to law, according to promise. And so now we kick off our study in chapter four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, this is chapter four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. You see, these are hardcore verses here in, in verse 1 and 2. These are hardcore verses. And I like to think about rich people. Rich people, they're different. And when I say rich, I don't mean like, you know, millionaires. I'm talking about like multi-multi-millionaires and even billionaires. They might have a child. Okay, they might have a child, but for that child, when you think of like legacy planning and how they use trusts, it's, it's completely different from the average person. So they might have a child and that child plays with other children, you know, interacts with other children, but that child is still part of a wealthy family. They might go to their private school. They might go to their, you know, their preparatory school. They intermingle with the commoners, so to speak. But they're still 
of extreme wealth. You see, and how they use the trust, the, 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 the wealthy parents, how they use trust is that those trusts aren't effectuated until that child becomes more mature, reaches a certain age. Sometimes it's 18. Usually it's age 21. Sometimes it's beyond age 21 because the wealthy parents know, okay, my kid's going to be a little crazy for a while. You see? And so I don't want to use this carnal example to, you know, say like, well, this is how it is. But I'm using this carnal example so that we can understand that in verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, emphasis on child, does not differ from, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. So you see in that example, he's very wealthy, but he intermingles with the commoners, so to speak. You know, he goes to elementary school, goes to private school, goes over here, goes over there, and there's that intermingling, but he's still of aristocracy, so to speak. And then in verse 2, but is under guardians and stewards or is under tutors and guardians and stewards and and stewards translates as overseers and preachers until the time appointed by the father you see not to be seduced to go to the law but to understand that the law it was added, as we looked at in last week in verse 19 in chapter 3, because of transgressions to the seed. And now that we live in the, I don't want to say the age of the seed, but I'll say the age of the seed. Jesus Christ. He's already been born. Already had his earthly ministry. Already died on a cross. Already risen he's coming again but we have to understand what the law is from the lens of the new covenant we look at the law and understand these deeper things and paul using this examples of about about heirs and um being under the guardians and stewards and in my example about the wealthy class, that heir, that young child still intermingles with the commoners, so to speak, but is under guardianship of a trust. And that trust is effectuated when that child reaches age 18, 21, 25, 30, at a certain age. And Paul says this in verse 3, Even so we... The inclusion of himself, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel, who came to Jesus Christ. Remember the Damascus Road? Even so we, when we were children, born into Adam, born into the law, were in bondage under the elements of the world. You see, the, the effects of the world to everyone remember in our study last week it just so happened not last week but on wednesday it just so happens in deuteronomy 7 verse 26 you shall abhor it you shall abhor those things man you shall detest and abhor those things that are not of the lord now 
Religion can't do that. Religion absolutely cannot do that. When the Bible says, you shall abhor this, whatever it is, we'll say pornography and crack and strippers and gambling, and you shall abhor it. Religion cannot do that. No. The pages of scripture cannot do that unless a soul consumes the pages of scripture. You see? I like to say, make the pages white. Every jot, every tittle, make the pages white. Consume every word, the good, the bad, the ugly. You say, wait a second, the Bible is good. Why do you say it's ugly? Have you read the Bible? There are ugly, ugly, painful passages in Scripture. Painful. Look at what happened in Corinth. Painful, painful passages in Scripture. But yet beautiful. And what it produces, remember, godly sorrow. There's worldly sorrow and then there's godly sorrow. Listen to our 33 Second Corinthians. You'll understand. You see? The love-hate relationship that Eurus mentioned from the Corinthian letters. The only, unless you consume the word of God and no religion, relationship, intimacy with Jesus Christ. When you have that, you know what happens? You'll abhor the things that the Lord abhors. You'll detest the things that the Lord detests. You will, what the Lord calls an abomination, you will say this is an abomination. That's what happens with relationship. And you know what? Babies don't have that. Babies don't have that yet, I'll say. But babies don't have that. That's why if Satan is going to uh, takes a baby Christian and wants to kill that baby Christian, he'll come at that baby Christian with the sex and the drugs and the crack and the pornography and the strippers and the gambling and the money and whatever. Things of the flesh. But when this baby has a steady diet of the word of God and consumes the word of God and that baby starts to abhor the things of the flesh, is detestable, the things of the flesh are detestable to that baby. Now that baby is no longer a baby. That baby is maturing, growing, has the knowledge of scripture and is reading the Bible as a Berean, studying the scriptures, understanding the scriptures. And now Satan will come at that believer with the word, with the Bible, to try to get him or her to fall because he still wants to kill them. But the attack is different, you see. I mean, what would your, I don't, I don't want to get violent here, but what would your posture be? What, what, what would your approach be if you were to fight a, a, a little three-year-old? Well, I mean, that's gross in itself. I'm not advocating, hey, beat up a three-year-old. But if you had to get in a cage with a three-year-old, what would you, would you train? No, it's a three-year-old. Would you, no, you pick up the three-year-old and throw him out, you know? I'm not getting, I'm not trying, trying to get violent, and I'm not, but it's so imbecilic. You wouldn't even train for that fight because it's a piece of cake. 
But what would your approach be? What would your tactics be if you were to fight a 280-pound behemoth? What would your, how would you do that? You see? You better train. You better be equipped. You better learn how to fight. And that's why Satan, he's not afraid of babies. You see? And he gets babies through keeping the pastors, so-called pastors, keeping them compromised. You see? He likes to compromise the pastors so that the pastors have no power to equip and teach because of their compromised state. Now the babies can stay babies. And because he does that, you think, okay, he's going to drag these people to hell and that's his ultimate goal. But now that the church, say he does that in a fellowship, Satan does that in a fellowship. He'll keep, he'll keep the, the so-called pastors, he'll keep them compromised. Oh, this is a pastor. He's got... Uh, 500 Christians here, 500, uh, 1,000 Christians here in this fellowship. Baby Christians, not maturing. In, they have no depth of their knowledge or depth of understanding. They're not Bereans. They might say they're Bereans, but they're not Bereans. And he'll keep the pastor compromised. to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to seduce this pastor with some crack. He's carnal. So here, the finest, the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico, and the pastor, so-called pastor, Buys in hook, line, and sinker, takes the bait. Now the pastor, so-called pastor, is compromised through through drugs. And Satan comes in and says, okay, I'm going to compromise this pastor through the sex, the pornography, the strippers, the prostitutes. Now that pastor is compromised. You see? So the pastor comes along on Sunday, teaches, does all these things, and you think, okay, Satan's going to drag all these people to hell. And yes, without repentance, that's what he wants to do. He wants to drag all everybody in that congregation, a thousand people, to hell. But he'll also keep the church in that state. Do you know why? To mock God. To mock God. So that the world can look at that fellowship, look at that church and see, wow, you know, look, I can, I can go to the club on a Friday night or I can go to church on Sunday and it's exactly the same thing. I can go to a club and, you know, meet up with these people. You know, the ladies are dressed a certain way. We talk about crack. We talk about sex. We talk about movies. We talk about shows and everything's fine and dandy. I can do that at the club on Friday night. Or I can go to church on Sunday morning and do the exact same thing. and just Except sit down and listen to a guy teach. And then after that, you know, he'll teach for 30 minutes. And then after that, you know, we'll be, we'll be talking about the crack and the sex and, you know, having our laughs. You look at the world and you look at the church and there's no difference. And then Satan, he'll make that church look like, wow, you know, look, it's a church. It's got the cross here. It's got some Christianity here. And they got their Bibles over here. And look at all these people that go there. And then boom, he'll pull the rug out. Everything exposed. And now the world, non-believers, they look at everything that exposed, that's exposed. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the gambling, the meth, 
the drugs, the drug dealing, the whatever, the extortion, all these works of the flesh. And now the world sees it and says, I'm never going to be a Christian. You see, now the world sees it and says, don't you ever come at me with Jesus Christ because I know all about you Christians and you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You see, Satan has his victories. You see? That's the battlefield. You say, wow, why do you explain it this way? It's so painful. Why do you even talk like this? I don't want to hear this. I want to listen to a message and feel good about myself. And I tell you from experience and I tell you the truth, the only way you will read the Bible and study the Bible and feel good about yourself, the only way is with obedience, 100%. And when you have obedience, you'll read the Bible, you'll, you'll still feel conviction. Remember, when we're perfected in Christ, you'll be dead. You'll be dead. You'll still have conviction. But it's going to be different. You're still going to feel good deep in your soul. But that only comes through obedience. Only. And you can't fake it with the Lord. The world might look, people on the outside, they might say, wow, you know, look, this guy, he says he hates drugs. He says he hates drugs, uh, uh, sex. He says he hates the pornography. He says he hates the meth. He says he hates this. But look, look, at he's with the prostitutes. Look, he's, he's dealing drugs. You see, the things that, in our study in, in Deuteronomy on Wednesday, the only way that you can abhor the things that God abhors, the things that God considers detestable, the only way that you can have that is with relationship with his son. And what's so powerful, that's Deuteronomy. Behold a loophole of the law. You see? Remember, the law was created with loopholes. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, But now he, speaking of Jesus Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. Not the covenant of the law, that of Moses. This is a better covenant, which was established on better promises you see no law the promise to abraham not not just abraham isaac and jacob too <laughs> in verse 7 for if that first covenant the law of moses had been faultless then no place would have been sought for a second you see the law created with loopholes and we just studied that. It just so happens that we studied that on Wednesday. When the law is written, you shall abhor those things that God abhors. You see, the law can't do that. Relationship can. You say, wait a second, I love the law, I love the law. Okay. Before the birth of Jesus Christ, the law was that very thing that points to Jesus Christ, but at the same time gives that, that the expectation of something better, things of which the prophets desired to see. 
because they knew. Now, 2,000 years after the death of Jesus Christ, give or take a couple years, does that mean that we go back to the law? Absolutely not. We have to understand what the law is. And Paul says in chapter 4, verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage other, under the elements of the world. You see? Because to, uh, to abhor the things of the world, the law can't do that. And that's what Paul is mentioning with the inclusion of himself. We were, we were under that guardianship. Just as, as the example I gave with the wealthy class. Under the guardianship of that trust. There's still the intermingling with the commoners. But when that child reaches a certain age, then boom, the trust is effectuated. And now the process of the, uh, the receiving aspect of the trust as heir, now it's activated. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. When we were children. You see? And verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. You see? God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. You see? Born into Adam. The son, Jesus Christ, is the law's fulfillment. Fulfillment. You see? And Jesus Christ, just as we looked at last week in chapter 3, verse 12, yet the law is not of faith. See? But the man who does them shall live by them. Now, this translation I read from the New King James Version has the the man as lowercase m in chapter 3, verse 12. Biblically, it's Jesus Christ. He's the... I, I like and I don't like that it's lowercase m. I like it because it... it well, I don't like it because it makes it seem like well, it, it's possible that it can be done. No, it is impossible. All have all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. You see? All have sinned. So what does that show us? Since all I mean, say we're under the law. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. What what hope would there be? You see, what hope would there be if I'm supposed to abhor the things that God abhors, but this sin, remember in our study in the Old Testament, a lot of blood, a lot of animals for a lot of sacrifice, which is a lot of blood, which shows us there's a lot of sin and that sin needs to be covered, atoned for. And I don't like, well, I don't like that, you know, the man in, in chapter 3, verse 12, it's lowercase. 
because it makes it seem like, okay, wow, this is, this is achievable. We can do these things under the law. And, but it still leaves that opening. Wow, it's impossible. And just the fact that it's impossible also creates, you know, I said, where's the hope? Well, it creates a better hope. Who, who can possibly fulfill the law? Who can possibly do these things under the law? I mean, say we're a generation that was before the birth of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I speak as a Gentile, but say we're, say we're all Gentiles and we're grafted into Israel. Remember, the law has provisions for the grafting in of Gentiles. How many times did you hear us say that in our study in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? Provisions in the law for the grafting in of Gentiles. And say that's us before the birth of Jesus Christ. Who could possibly, possibly, possibly fulfill these things in the law? Because we've tried it. Our relatives before us, they tried it. The relatives before us, we're Gentiles in the camp of Israel, but even in Israel, who, who could do it? Who could do it? You see? Just like when, remember when Paul had that major, major beef with Peter, you you compel them to you compel them to live as Jews. You see, in in our study in chapter two, you compel them to live as Jews. And why did he's in in verse in chapter two verse sixteen? He says, uh, "Well, in, in in verse fourteen." If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We, who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus in, in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Jesus and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. That was a major beef that Paul had with Peter. Peter was in the wrong. You see? And so you and me were Gentiles grafted into the camp of Israel using the provisions of the law for our grafting in. And it's before Jesus Christ, before the birth of Jesus Christ, and we're wondering who in the world can fulfill the law? Because look, I just sacrificed last week because of my sin. And now, you know, it's another week and I got to sacrifice again because who, who in the world? A lot of, lot of blood. Remember, a lot of blood. Who in the world? And the Jew, we look at the Jews. It's like, wow, all of their generation. It's like, they got a lot of animals, but wow, they're sacrificing a lot of animals. Why? There's a lot of sin in that tent. There's a lot of sin in this tent and that tent and all these tents. There's a lot of sin in the entire camp. Who in the world can fulfill these things? Written in the law, written in the Torah. You see? And then we hear about a birth. And then we hear about a birth. Born of a virgin. Like a whoop how is that even possible? Born of a virgin? How 
is that even possible? But as the scriptures reveal, these things must happen, these things will happen, and boom, Jesus Christ. He grows up as a little boy, little teenager, enters adulthood, and begins his earthly ministry. The fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. He is the only one. I mean, we've been wondering for decades. Pre-Jesus Christ, pre-birth. We've been wondering who in the world can do this because we've tried and we've all failed. Is the, is the law impossible? Is the law impossible? Is, is, is righteousness impossible through the law? You see? But in doing those things of the law, it is accounted for righteousness sake in being obedient. But understand that the law points to Jesus Christ. And now that Jesus Christ, I mean, say we're in that generation where Jesus Christ is beginning his earthly ministry. Boom, the effectuation. You see? The law was the guardian and steward. Just like that trust example I gave. And Jesus Christ, in chapter 4, verse 4 here in Galatians, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, did exactly the what the law stated. All of us have failed. I mean, wow, you know, we just sacrificed last week. We just sacrificed last month. We just sacrificed last year. We sacrifice all the time. Sacrifice here, sacrifice there. We do all these sacrifices because there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of blood. We got to have the animals. If we're poor, we got the turtle doves. If we're middle class, we got the lambs and the sheep. If we're, if we're wealthy, we got the ox and we do all these sacrifices. Is there anybody who doesn't have to sacrifice? Is there anybody who is sinless and doesn't have to sacrifice as us, as this tent, as this tent, as this tent? And we're the Gentiles, but even in the camp of Israel, in any of these tents, is there anybody who doesn't have to sacrifice because, of their, because they're sinless in accordance to the law? Only one. Only one. His name is Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, in fulfillment of the prophecies. But remember, the seed, in accordance to the promise of Abraham, he was there all along. Now we see this in verse 5. Remember, for all of us, all of us, are born into Adam, born into sin, all of us. Eternity written on our, on our hearts. Read Ecclesiastes. Under the law. And we all fall short in accordance to the law, except for one. So now that the fulfillment of the law and these promises are effectuated in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, 
What needs to happen for that effectuation to apply to you and to me? Belief. Belief. Plain and simple. Belief. Is it really that easy? Yes, it's really that easy. <laughs> That's why, you know, it, people say, oh, you want to become a believer? Okay, you got to memorize this. You got to say the catechisms. I want you to write this, you know, this report. I want you to write this big dissertation because I want you to understand what you're doing and why you're becoming a Christian. I want, what is that? That's not even in the Bible. It's not even biblical. You see it a lot among Calvinistics and uh, the Reformed camp. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand more. But what you see in the Reformed theory camp, oh yeah, we got to memorize the catechisms. Youth group, you got to memorize the catechisms. And you know, you, if you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you got to say the catechisms and because we want to make sure you know what it is, what you're doing. Who in the world knows what they're getting into? When they believe Jesus Christ. Who in. Never in my right mind. Did I ever think I was going to be a pastor. And teach the Bible. And yet here we are. It's so powerful. Because yes people say. Oh you, you teach easy believism. Absolutely. I do teach easy believism. Absolutely 100%. Because you believe in Jesus Christ. Boom. All these promises of God effectuated unto you piece of cake easy belief in jesus christ now you know what the hard part is obedience obedience to his word that's the hard part and you know what the lord knows that's the hard part and you know what he does he says i'm gonna send you the helper now capital h the Paracletus, the holy spirit remember when you know, Mary at the tomb, well, you know, he, she realizes it's Jesus Christ and she holds on to him and he says, you know, hey, let go of me. I mean, not like that, but he says, hey, let go of me. Because I haven't yet ascended to my father and I have to ascend to my father so that I can send the helper, the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to help you. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you. And yes, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you. The whole purpose in verse 5, the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ, to redeem those who were under the law. You see, Jesus Christ, when he says, I am the door, I am the gate, even the law itself, the law of Moses has a door. The fulfillment of the law. His name is Jesus Christ. He says in verse 5 that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see? That's what Paul says to a church. Saints who wanted to achieve salvation. Who wanted to achieve righteousness. Through the law. It is impossible, my friend. If you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement. Come out of her, my people. Because righteousness doesn't come through the law. If it did come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. There was, it was pointless for him to die. You see? 
which we know is unbiblical. The fulfillment of the law died. Innocent blood shed. And the innocent blood being shed is the very means by which you and me and all who believe the effectuation, meaning the promises of God, are now unto you who believe. Now, if you're not a believer, if you're listening and you're like, wow, you know what? I'm not a believer. If that's you, I want you to hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ. Become a believer. Be born again. And then you come back and you listen. And we study the scriptures together and we move on to perfection. You see? Now we continue in verse 6. <clears throat> in verse 6, he says this. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit. This is the helper. The Spirit of His Son into your hearts. Into your hearts. Meaning it's deep. It's not like in the, on the outside. It's deep inside. Remember, we we, we studied last week uh, in, in verse chapter 3, verse 27, have put on Christ, like sinking into a garment. Now we put on Christ. And now we get into chapter, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. So now what do we have? Where we put on Jesus Christ as seeking into a garment, but then at the same time, there's something deeper into our hearts. The Holy Spirit crying out, Abba, Father, he says in verse 6. Crying out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, it's, it's, it's a term of endearment. It's like Papa. Papa. You see? It's deep. Notice. It's not us per se crying out, Abba, Father. It's the spirit of his son that is crying out the Holy Spirit, which is a seal unto the saints. The Holy Spirit inside, not outside. The Holy Spirit inside. The glory of God inside, the Shekinah glory inside. You see, inside these temples called our bodies. Now when we study the Old Testament and you look inside when the tabernacle becomes defiled, when the holy place becomes defiled, and even the temple, when that becomes defiled, then you're going to see what happens to Israel. You see? Now you're going to see what happens to Israel, understanding, well, wait a second, when the temple is defiled, what happens? When the tabernacle is defiled, what happens? Loss. Not victory unto the enemy, victory of the enemy. What about you and me when these temples of ours are defiled? Victory of the enemy. Same thing. Same thing. Observe Israel after the flesh. Observe the saints according to the Spirit. Observe yourself according to the Spirit or the flesh. 
If it's the flesh, cut it out, repent. And don't walk according to the flesh. Walk, learn to walk according to the spirit. Dead fish go with the flow. You see? You say, I believe in Jesus Christ, therefore I have the Holy Spirit because my pastor told me that I can't believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit makes me to, makes me do that. So I have the Holy Spirit. Wrong. Wrong. Remember our study through Acts 8? If you're listening for the first time or you haven't, you've been, haven't been listening for a, long, a while, listen to our study through Acts 8 because we see something. Philip, the evangelist, Beautiful, beautiful Philip. It just so happens that he has four prophetess daughters. But beautiful, beautiful Philip, the evangelizer, goes and proclaims Jesus Christ and preaches the Gospels. And you have all these people who become Christians. Praise be to the Lord. They believe in Jesus Christ. And then Peter comes to town. And he realizes, wait a second. These are believers in Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. But the Holy Spirit is not in them. The Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. So what does Peter do? He lays hands on them. And the Holy Spirit goes into all of them except for one, Simon. He believed in Jesus. He was with the group of believers. Except the Holy Spirit did not go inside of him. Why? Because of his wickedness. And that's what we see in the church today. Christians, people who believe in Jesus Christ, but without the Holy Spirit. You see? These people, and it might be you, and I love you. I don't say this to hurt you. You might believe in Jesus Christ. And it could be that you don't have the Holy Spirit. You say, wait, does that mean I'm going to burn in hell? Because my pastor also tells me that, you know, there's predestined to heaven, there's predestined to hell. No, your pastor's wrong. Get a new pastor. Your pastor's crazy. He doesn't understand the scriptures. That means get your heart right with the Lord. You see? Obey him. Get your heart right with the Lord. People say, oh, I have this habitual sin, habitual sin, habitual sin. No, you know what it is? It's habitual disobedience. Oh, that sounds like works-based salvation. Listen, it's not works-based. When Brother James writes about, you know, faith without works is dead, he points to Abraham and Isaac. And when you read the account in Genesis about Abraham and Isaac, you know what they do? You know what Abraham does? 100% obedience to the Lord. Obey him. Obey the Lord. And now, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a completely different ballgame. Because now you have the helper. And you're still going to feel conviction. But now you have this helper, the Holy Spirit, who will help you. But he's also a seal. You see? He's also a seal. Remember, Satan also has his seal. It's called the mark of the beast, 666. Satan has his seal. But God also has his seal. I shouldn't say it that way. God has his seal, which is the Holy Spirit. And Satan also has it because Satan tries to copy. 
You know the the uh, satanic trinity. You have Satan. You have the Antichrist and the false prophet. A worldly mockery of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has His seal, the Holy Spirit, on on the saints and those who believe in Him. And Satan says, "Okay, I'm also going to have my seal here, six six six. You put it on your hand or your forehead. If you don't have it, you can't buy or sell. Or, and it's mandated by the beast system." And here we are living in a day and age where a beast system, the beast of this world, has these mandates. Put this inside your body. And if you don't have this inside your body, you can't buy or sell. Now, I'm not saying vaccinations are the mark of the beast, but it's gearing up. It's leading up to it. You see, I meant 20 years ago, 100 years ago, The government is mandating you put this inside your body. It's unheard of. Today, it's not unheard of because it's widely heard of. You see, we're living in the last days. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And Satan has his mark. But God also has his mark, his seal, which is the Holy Spirit of his son in verse six, which says God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. It's inside. It's deep inside the eye. The carnal eye cannot see it. And the spirit of Jesus Christ cries out, Abba, Father, it's not you and me crying out. Per se. It's the spirit which cries out. You see? Just as Jesus Christ cried out, Abba, Papa. The same spirit of Jesus Christ, not wearing as a garment inside our hearts, cries out, Abba, Father, a seal, the helper, the paracletus. Now, if you're a believer, you believe in Jesus Christ, And you do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have to pray. Now, a Calvinist would say, well, you know, you're predestined for hell, so... But they're wrong. A Reformed theory person would say the same thing. Oh, you're predestined to hell. I don't say that. Why? Because I read the Bible. Pray. Pray and obey. Abhor the things that God abhors. That can only happen through relationship. You need a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Friday night and you want to go to the bars? Don't do that. Friday night, fall on your knees and pray. You see? You want to go to the strip club? Don't do that. Saturday night, go to the strip club. Don't do that. Saturday night, pray. Be on your knees in prayer. Read your Bible. And you can give your give it to the Lord. Even the nasty stuff. Oh Lord, you know what? I wanted to go to the strip club. Give it to him. All of it. He'll take the filth. He'll take it. And I tell you these things from experience. I don't say, hey, you know what? This guy on TV said you should do this. So therefore you should do this. No, I tell you from experience. He cleans house. 
and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And grow and mature. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians uh, and 2 Corinthians. And you'll understand the importance of growing and maturing in Christ. Be equipped. Because these days are evil. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. These days are wicked. Now look what happens here in verse 7. Remember, the Holy Spirit, which is... It written in verse 6, the spirit of his son into your hearts. It's deep. When that happens, the effectuation of the promise when you believe in Jesus Christ, in verse 7, therefore, you are no longer a slave. Remember the bondage under the elements of the world, what we looked at in the previous verse, in, 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 in verse 3. Therefore, in verse 7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And the saints in Galatia, they wanted to go to the law without realizing what the law was, without realizing that they were being placed into a trap. Bondage, remember, the these pseudodelphos, the fake brothers, fake brothers, servants of Satan come in by stealth and they want to bring people into bondage. That's from chapter 2, verse 4. They want to bring people into bondage. It's a lie from Satan to the saints in Galatia. He didn't attack them like he did in Corinth. With Corinth, he used the works of the flesh. He used the, uh, tried to attract the flesh. And that's what he does to babies. He'll use the sex, the drugs, the gambling, the all, you know, the pornography, whatever. And that's how he tries to attack the babies. But the more mature, he uses the Bible. And when he uses the Bible, he'll use the New Testament. He'll use the Old Testament. But what he really likes to use is the Torah. And Torah, Genesis, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but of those five, the last four. Because he doesn't like he doesn't like the promises of God. But he really likes the law. Because if you, if you, and I pray it's never you, but if you abide in the law, you are outside of Jesus Christ. You thinking you're doing a righteous deed and righteous deeds. But outside of Jesus Christ, Satan knows there is no salvation outside of Christ. You must abide inside of Jesus Christ and wear him as a garment, abiding in that garment. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit, which is inside, you see, crying out, Abba, Father, Satan knows that. Satan knows the blueprints. Satan knows the formula. And he doesn't want anybody to follow the formula. You see? The servants of God, they want the formula. You see? And they teach the formula. Ser servants of Satan? Nope. Nope. They'll teach a formula... That is unbiblical. 
but they'll also teach a formula that is biblical, you see, using the law. And the babies, they don't understand what the law is. The law is right smack dab in the middle of promises. You see? And so now we continue our study in Galatians 4. In verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, this is extremely comforting for some people. I pray a lot of people. But this might be painful to other people. This might be painful to some hearing these things. But it also fulfills what is written in Luke chapter 12. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Jesus Christ himself says, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For, for from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. You might say, well, wait a second. Everybody in my house is a believer. Okay. Everybody believes in Jesus Christ. But are there any Simons? that do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a seal, that do not have the helper. You say, what a, what a, that's a preposterous notion. How could you even suggest it? You have to look at the fruit. You have to, I mean, people who are non-believers, the fruit is easy. I mean, the, 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 the fruit is, I mean, you see it. I mean, you see nasty fruit, but you, you see the fruit of the flesh. But I'm talking about those who believe in Jesus Christ. You have to look at the fruit. Oh, this guy believes in Jesus Christ, but he's a sex head. He gets the prostitutes, the gambling, the crack, and all these things. There you go. Observe the fruit. Could be a believer in Jesus Christ, but no seal of the Holy Spirit. You see? No seal of the Holy Spirit. And remember... It's completely possible to believe in vain. Whoa, that's hardcore. I know it's hardcore. It is entirely possible to believe in Jesus Christ in vain. And the Holy Spirit inspired Brother James. Faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience is dead. But I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Okay. What's up with the crack? What's up with the sex, the pornography, the strippers, the gambling? What's up? Now you see the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we studied in Acts 8. Very deep, which cries out, Abba Father. See? Oh, these things that the Bible said the God is against is detestable to me. I hate the drugs, I hate the sex, I hate the alcohol, I hate the pornography, I hate the strippers, I hate the gambling. Oh, I hate it, it's so detestable. 
Those are just words. Oh, God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I hate the sex. I hate the prostitutes. I hate the crack. I hate the meth. I hate the gambling. I hate it all. Those are just words. That's all it is. Just words. It's like, wow, God. Look, this guy, he's so on fire for the Lord. Look, he, he, look he, he loves the Lord. Look, he's my brother. Could be. But when you look at the works, when you look at the fruit, what do you see? Do you see obedience? Or do you see disobedience? Because if you see disobedience, you're looking at an unsealed individual. No baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a helper. You say, wait a second. How could you say that? That's preposterous. How could you dare say that? Surely he has the Holy Spirit. Well, that's even worse. That means he's ignoring the helper. You see? That's even worse. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. It could be that in one house, everybody's a believer. Or, you know, half are believers and half are non-believers. That's, that's more of a carnal fight. I mean, carnal against the, the, the spirit. That's more fleshly. But every, say everybody in the house is a believer and everybody believes in Jesus Christ. Well, the question now is, does anybody believe in vain? Which is deep. Is there anybody in the house which believes in vain? They believe in Jesus Christ, just like Simon in Acts 8, with no Holy Spirit as a seal. That's hardcore. In the last days, these will be exposed. These are things which will be exposed in the last days because people will rely on their doctrines which are fake and they will be proven to be false, these doctrines, which leaves that believer in Jesus Christ at a fork in the road. They can either walk away from Christ realizing that what they believed was wrong or they can realize that what they were taught was wrong. They had a defunct pastor, a defunct teacher, which didn't teach them in accordance with the word of God, which aligns with the gospels, aligns with the epistles, aligns with the minor prophets, the major prophets, and the Torah. Everything must align. Where you have no alignment scripturally, you have no alignment applicationally in life. Oh, but this guy says I can take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. That's nice. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Oh, but he has his, you know, master's and doctorate at his Bible college. That's nice. I don't care. What does he teach? Oh, but this congregation, they have thousands and hundreds and thousands and they're global and they have all these things. But, you know, they want me to go grave soaking. You see? 
These are things which will be exposed in the last days. And praise be to the Lord, it's painful. And it will be painful. But I say praise be to the Lord. What a beautiful opportunity for people to come to Christ. The real Christ, not the fake one that they've been believing. The real Jesus Christ, who is coming again and who will make himself known. Just as he did in Egypt. You see? And so we see this in verse Galatians chapter 4. Go back to Galatians 4. In verse 8, but then... Before Christ, you know, when 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 Paul says, you know, when uh, in in verse uh, three, even so we, when we were children, and he says in verse eight, but then this is the before Christ. Then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things which by nature are not gods. You see, that's before Christ. Before anybody comes to Christ, you serve the things. Of the world, you serve the things in accordance to Adam. Things which are in the law. You see, things which need to be repented of using the law. And the law is a tutor to, you know, a soul would realize, well, wait a second, I shouldn't commit murder. Wait a second, I shouldn't covet. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. Praise be to the Lord for the law. The law is still holy, as is written. Remember our study through Romans? Listen to our, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study, the introduction to Galatians, because we cite all these, you know, a little overview of Galatians. And today we're getting in the nitty gritty of Galatians 4. And listen to our study in Galatians 1, and or Galatians 1, and Galatians 2, and Galatians 3, because we get into the nitty gritty. The law is still holy. But it's a lesser glory than the fulfillment of the law. The law is a tutor. Verse 8, Paul says, but then, but then in verse 9, he says, but now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, remember, the seal, sealed by the Holy Spirit, you see, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, a little pause here for a moment. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Paul says this to the saints in Ephesus. Verse 30, Ephesians 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. You see, sealed. That's the indwelling not not wearing jesus christ as a garment and seeking into a garment which is beautiful and i'm not nullifying that i'm you know that's beautiful but there's more there's more what about the holy spirit inside which cries out abba father and if he is inside do you know what grieves the holy spirit the works of the flesh Oh, but I have jesus christ i believe in jesus christ and the the, the, the holy spirit is in my heart and I feel like dirt. Oh, why do you feel like dirt? Oh, because I, I went to the strip club last night and I feel like dirt. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
Repent of this, your wickedness, and be alive. Can these dead bones walk? You know, Lord, you know to those who have ears. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, Satan has his seal. God has his seal. Satan's seal is seen for everybody. You get the mark on your hand. You get the mark on your forehead. You get, you know, you get your little card, your little, you know, look, I got this card. I'm good to go. Look at my hand. Look at my forehead. I got this mark. Look, I'm good to go. You know what the Bible says? You're going to burn in hell. Do you get the mark on your hand, your forehead? You're going to burn in hell. Oh, but this pastor, he's got this Bible college. He has his study Bible and he says, I can take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. He's a servant of Satan. A servant of Satan. Who wants you to burn in hell. And he presents himself as the preacher guy so that all these Christians, these saints can believe, you know, take the mark of the beast, they'll still be saved in accordance with this doctrine of the servant of Satan. In Jesus Christ, the signs of the last days start to happen. All of a sudden, the boils, as prophesied, the boils start to happen in people's hands, people's foreheads. Wait a second, this guy told me I could take the mark of the beast and I was good to go. You get the boils on your hand, the boils on your forehead, cancerous sores, as prophesied. And then you realize you were deceived. That's straight up lake of fire. Not good. Oh, don't be so mean-spirited. Don't be so mean-spirited. Remember several weeks ago, I said, picture you and me going into this very, very thick protective bubble and we go down to hell. And we see the weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see the screams. Nobody there, when that day comes, nobody there would say, oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. You know what they're going to say? We should have listened. We should have listened. The day of redemption is coming and it draws near. Satan knows it. He knows his time is short and he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you and those with you. All saints. He wants to drag to the lake of fire. So now we go back to our study in Galatians, understanding the seal of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 4, He says, but now after you have, remember in verse 8, but then before they came to Christ, but now, now that they're in Christ, after you have known God or rather are known by God because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit into your hearts, Paul asked this question. And his question is this, to saints who are being seduced into the law. How is it, he says, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements. Whoa. That's the law. He's speaking about Moses. The law of Moses. How is it that you turn again to the weak, speaking about the law, and beggarly 
the law. Elements, the law. Whoa, but the law is biblical. The law is in the Torah. Absolutely, the law is in the Torah. Absolutely. But Paul is referring to the Torah through the lens of the new covenant, standing firmly on the rock of salvation. And Paul says of the Torah, of the law of Moses, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again, again, to be in bondage? Whoa, that's hardcore. Remember, these saints in Galatia, they have a history of turning their back. Remember chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. They were turning to the law, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in order to turn to the law, a soul has to turn their back to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. You see, the, the very vessel that effectuates the promise a soul has to turn their back on him, son of the most high, in order to go to the law. And Paul says in verse 9 of chapter 4, How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Remember, how many times do we, in our study through Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where we see the people... We had it great in Egypt. We had the fish, the garlic, the leeks. We had it good. We had it fine. We had a roof over our heads. Everything was fine and dandy. Oh, by the way, don't, don't. Let's forget about the fact that we were slaves. Let's forget about the fact that we were in bondage. That's what Paul is saying to the saints here in Galatia. You desire to be in bondage? That's the law. Understand that the law is still holy. But the law is a tutor. Tutor. In verse 10, you observe the days and months and seasons and years. Whoa. I mean, we see the feasts and the festivals at certain time periods of the year, at certain events in the year. The seasons come forth in celebration of these things. Unleavened the day, the feasts of unleavened bread, the feasts and festivals. Paul says, You observe these things. The law of Moses in accordance to the law of Moses. And Paul doesn't say, Oh, good job, guys. You're doing the you're doing the feasts, you're doing the festivals. Oh, good job. Oh, you, you're, you're, you're partaking of those elements, you're doing the elements that are written in the Torah. No, oh, good job, guys. No, Paul doesn't say that. He says in verse 11, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Whoa. You see, it's a trap. It's a trap that Satan uses, using his servants, his messengers, presenting themselves as Ministers of righteousness, but they're ministers of death. Paul says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He says in verse 12, Brethren, 
I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You see? I became like you, speaking to these Gentile people. There's some, some Jews in there, but largely Gentile, the Galatian saints. Largely Gentile. Remember the, the first Hebrew Roots movement that we studied in our introduction to Galatians? And those who were former Pharisees, they believed in Jesus Christ, but they didn't let go of the law. And they went to the churches saying, hey, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be obeying, obedient to, to the Lord, and you got to be circumcised. You got to do the perform the, the deeds of the law of Moses. You see, Paul took major issue with that. Not just Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, these beautiful vessels, they took major, major issue with that. Just as Paul took major issue with Peter in Galatians 2. You see, and Paul. A former Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel, says, I became like you guys outside of the law. And that's what he's saying in verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. We look at the Old Testament, the law, the, the Torah, the five books of Moses, what we're studying in Deuteronomy on Wednesdays, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. brings death that's in the rear view when Israel passes to the promised land you know in order to to be at Horeb and enter the promised land you have to leave Horeb you see leave the law if you're in the Hebrew roots and you still haven't taken, taken these words to heart. I say it again. Come out of her, my people. If you're abiding in the law, you are outside of Christ. And if you're outside of Christ, there is no spirit in your heart. Because the Holy Spirit, the real Holy Spirit, not Satan's spirit, the Holy Spirit always, 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 always leads to Jesus Christ. Always. Never to the law. A different spirit will. A different Jesus will. A different gospel will. But not the real Jesus. Not the biblical Jesus. You see? And in the last days, there's going to be a whole bunch of Christs, lowercase c, false Christs, False Jesuses, false messiahs being taught by the Sudadelphos, the fake brothers, the fake pastors, the fake elders, the fake Bible teachers. Fake. Everything fake. But the real servants of the Lord, everything aligns. Everything aligns. You see, and of those people, Satan definitely wants to kill. You see, and it will happen. It's, it's prophesied to happen. Paul says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. 
You have not injured me at all. I love this so much. We live in such a snowflake generation today. The highest concentration of snowflakes is the greatest it's ever been. You could say among the millennial generation, but among Generation Z, the highest, highest, highest concentration of snowflakes. And Paul says, you've not injured me at all. You're not hurting me, you guys. That's what he's saying. You're not hurting me. What he's showing them and teaching them and revealing to them is that they're deceived. You're deceived. You're not like Corinth, Galatian saints. You're not like the saints in Corinth. You're not... You know, not having sex with your 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 dad's wives. You're, you're not your dad's wife. You know, you're not having sex. You're not doing the drugs, the crack, the extortion, the drunkard. You're not you're not doing that. But you're deceived. You're deceived. And Paul is on a straight up rescue mission. You see, he's on a straight up rescue mission. Just it's gonna happen for the saints. We're going to have our opportunity to, because remember, if you open up the book of Jude, if you've been walking with us for a while, you might remember this, but I'll say it again. In Jude chapter 1, verse 20, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on, this is Jude chapter 1, verse 20. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. You see, a straight up rescue mission, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What beautiful ministry opportunity that the saints are going to have in these last days. All those people who are defiled by the flesh, hating those garments, but going on a straight up rescue mission, pulling people out of fire. And you know what Satan does? He wants to prevent that from happening too. You see, it's a straight up battlefield. Do you not see the battlefield? All these people, oh, I'm going to, you know, head for the hills, head for the hills. The fight is before us. The war rages before us. Let us be equipped. Let us train. And let us engage. Hand to hand. Let us be a people who engages in these last days. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, pulling people out of the fire, saving them out of the fire. You see? That's what Paul is doing. In Galatians chapter 4, that's what Paul is doing. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. He's revealing to them that they're deceived. He says in verse 13, You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first or previously. And my trial, which was in my flesh. So Paul himself had 
battles. I mean, we studied the book of Acts. You see, he's had multiple, you know, trials upon trials upon trials. But this is one of many battles of Paul. And he says in verse 14, you did not despise or reject. But you receive me as an angel of God or as a messenger of God is how it translates, even as Christ Jesus. Now, is Paul boasting here? No. He's not boasting at all. He's not boasting. He's not deifying himself. But there is honor placed over seers. Honor placed over seers. Pastors. Elders. And I love Paul so much because these are things which he denied. He exhorts the church, hey, honor these people. These are people that God has placed to shepherd you, to teach you, to feed you, to protect you. Honor them. And then Paul says of himself, but you know what? I deny those things. These are things that are abused today where pastors, they want to deify themselves. But those are the defunct class. Paul is hearkening to their minds. Remember how you received me? I had my trial. I was beat up. When I have my physical infirmity and my trial, which was in my flesh, and you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You see the saints in Galatia. Oh, Paul, you're hurt. Come here. Come here, Paul. Let me take care of you. Let me bandage this. You need this. You need food. You need a blanket. You need this. You need a place to stay. Paul, come here. Come here. Let me take care of you, Paul. It's going to be okay. He says this in verse 15. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? You see, I mean, he says, you receive me as, as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What did you receive then? What was the blessing you enjoyed? Did, did you receive me and we fought? Did you receive me and we, you know, we, we went to blows? Did you receive me and, you know, you cussed me out and I cussed you out? Did you receive me and, you know, we got in a fight? I, I broke your table. I broke your window. Did No, none of that at all. You received me and we enjoyed the beautiful fellowship. I enjoyed spending time with you. You enjoyed spending time with me. We had beautiful fellowship. You see, we didn't fight. We didn't argue. No, it was a blessing. He says, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. This is where a lot of people say that Paul had, you know, uh, uh, some type of eye injury. Maybe he got, you know, punch kicked and his eyes were messed up. Maybe. I mean, not to get ahead of myself, but in chapter 6, verse 11, Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, he says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. So maybe he had bad eyes and instead of writing like little letters, he had to write big letters just so he can see what he's writing. Maybe he was punched in the face. I mean, if you got, ever got punched in the face, you can't see. I mean, you can see, but everything's blurry. You can see light, but everything's blurry. If you ever got punched or kicked in the head, in the face, 
You can't see for a little bit. Paul says, for I bear, in verse 15, chapter 4, he says, I bear witness, I bear you witness that if possible, you had have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's how much love there was between Paul and the saints in Galatia. Paul, come here, you're hurt. I see you got your black eye over here and your other eye, it's also bruised and you can't see very well. Man, Paul, here, let me give you a warm meal. Let me give you a warm place to stay. And man, Paul, if I could, I would pluck out my own eyes and give them to you so you can use them to preach and teach and do what the Lord, you're a vessel of the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying. Remember. Remember. I don't want to hurt you guys. That's what Paul is saying. I don't want to hurt you guys. But you're deceived. Because the preacher guys are coming into town and saying, hey, let's do what's written in Deuteronomy. Hey, let's do what's written in Leviticus. It's a trap and you guys are buying into it. You see, Paul says, remember what? Remember what fellowship we had? Did I compel you to do anything? No, did we fight? No, we had beautiful fellowship. You received me as an angel of the Lord, even as Christ. Not that he's deifying himself, but you see the love that the saints have for their teacher. And now as Paul is explaining this in their zeal, to be right with the Lord and go to the law, they don't realize that they're being lied to. They're being deceived by the fake brother, brothers, the Sudadelphos. They don't realize these things. And their teacher in whom they love, Paul, I should say this other teacher, the original teacher, not the Sudadelphos, the preacher guys who came in, the original teacher. He says in verse 16, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Whew. Imagine the heart of Paul. Such pain to realize that the saints in whom he loves, the Galatian saints, are being deceived and being led into the very things that the Lord brought him out of. And in revealing this to them, there might be some saints in Galatia who have a stronghold, strong ties to the Sudadelphos. Oh, but this guy, look, he has a study Bible. Oh, look, but this guy, look at all the, he calls the glitter the Holy Spirit. And look, the Spirit is alive and the Spirit is, it's the glitter, but it's alive. And yeah, he wants me to go grave soaking, but I just feel so good in my heart that we go grave soaking. And so what, this guy's a money preacher, no big deal. So what, this guy, he teaches in replacement theology, no big deal. I love this guy. Look, he's a. The preacher guy has come into town and he's taught me these things to go back in the things of the law and he wants me to do the feasts and the festivals and wow, I really love this guy. And Paul says, okay, let's, let's clear the table. Remember when I came to you at the first, before this other guy, before the preacher guy came in? Remember how you received me? 
as an angel of the Lord. Remember the fellowship that we had? Remember how I was banged up and you received me and you took me in? Remember these things? We had such beautiful fellowship and I love you as a father to his own children. Then he just comes out point blank in verse 16. Am I the bad guy now? Have I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. You're in love with these preacher guys, but do you understand what the preacher guys are saying? Do you understand that the preacher guys want to bring you into bondage? Do you not understand what the law teaches? They, in verse 17, they, the false brethren, the preacher guys, servants of Satan, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you. You see, it's to how it translates says to exclude you is to shut in order to prevent an approach. It'd be like, say you and me, say you and me are saints in Galatia and Paul, you know, we receive the gospel and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, a preacher guy comes into town and all, we start listening to what he has to say and say, oh yeah, do the feast, do the festivals and we start buying into that. And now all of a sudden, our hearts are closed now, instead of receiving what Paul says, we the door is closed to him and the door is open to these preacher guys who have seduced us, who have courted us. And that's what Paul is saying. They, these pseudodelphos, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, which is to shut and prevent an approach that you may be zealous for them. You see, for them. Who is it that wants to receive worship? Lucifer. He wanted to be exalted above God. He wanted to receive worship. And you know, Satan's servants, you know what they want? They like the accolades. They like the worship. You see? That's what Paul is saying. That you might be zealous for them. They're closing the door between you and me. They're closing the door. And they want the door open between you and them. Because they want to be worshipped. They want to receive your accolades. But they're leading you to bondage. Instead of the freedom in Christ. They're leading you to bondage. But it is good to be zealous. He's not denying the, the zeal. It, it, in verse 18. It is good to be zealous but we must understand in a good thing in a good thing it's zeal to be zealous completely completely beautiful but it must be in a good thing always he says in verse 18 a good thing always how will we know what is good you have to be a berean you have to study the word of god yes to show ourselves approved but understand that we can have zeal in a good thing always. Now, the world, the world, the things I'm teaching you today, the world abhors, the world hates. They will never call these things a good thing. But the word of God, 
as the Spirit of the Lord leads and teaches and shows and reveals to those who have ears to, ears to hear and eyes to see, you see, wow, this is a beautiful thing. This is a good thing. Always. Zeal is beautiful. But it must be biblical. And it must be godly. You see? For the Pauls, zeal is good. But for the servants of Satan, no. You see? They Imagine the safety. If we were in Corinth, imagine the safety if we had zeal for Paul. Now, we have zeal for the Lord, but understand that Paul is a vessel that the Lord is using to teach. And we have zeal for Paul. Imagine the safety in having zeal for Paul. You see? In Corinth. Imagine the safety in having zeal for Paul in Galatia. Because in Corinth, we say, okay. You know, Paul would say, okay, look, now these people who are doing crazy things and the works of the flesh separate from them. And we have zeal for Paul. And we don't have this understanding as, as Peter says, you know, Paul has this understanding in what we, in, uh, I'll read it since I mentioned it in second Peter chapter three. <clears throat> Verse 15, as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as in also in, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand. So Paul, a vessel of the Lord, has this understanding. So say we're in Corinth, and we have zeal for Paul, not to deify him. He gets off that pedestal, not to deify him. But understand that the Lord is using Paul to show us, to teach us. As Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He doesn't say, hey, follow me to the strip clubs. Hey, follow me to, you know, we're going to get the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Hey, follow me over here to the pornography. Hey, follow me over here. No, he doesn't say that. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so say we're young believers. We have a defunct pastor. And we have, you know, defunctness in the church, people who are doing the sex and the drugs. And then all of a sudden, Paul writes a letter and we say, we have zeal for Paul. And he says, okay, separate from these people. So what do you and me do? We get up and we, we go to Chloe's house. <laughs> we go to Chloe's house. You see, we separate. Now, look at the safety there is for having this zeal for Paul. Of course, we have zeal for the Lord. But we have zeal for Paul because he's a vessel that the Lord is using to teach and to pour. Pouring into us. But the same could be said in Rome. The same could be said in Galatia. The same could be said in Ephesus. You see? Safety. It is good to be zealous, he says in verse 18 in Galatians 4. In a good thing always... And not only when I am present with you. You see? We journey together. It's like Paul is saying, we journey together. But I can't push you through a, on a, in a stroller. Every pastor can say that. Well, not every pastor. 
the good ones. We journey together. But I can't push you in a stroller. Maybe for a little bit, you know, like in, in Acts 18, the birth of Corinth. Maybe for a little bit. But now you got to walk. Now you have to learn to walk. And we still walk together. But as we walk, you're growing, you're maturing. Paul says, be zealous in a good thing always. Yes, it's beautiful. Don't listen to those preacher guys. They're false brothers. They're fakes to the Delphos. They're servants of Satan. They come, they look like the preacher guy, but what are they teaching? It's good to have this zeal and always be zealous in a good thing. It must be biblical. It must be godly, but not just when I'm with you. No strollers. Strollers are for babies. You see? He says this in verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now, the wording here is just like he did in Corinth. He's male. He's a man. He has no birth canal. And how this translation, he says, for whom my little children, for whom I labor in birth, is to travail in the pains of childbirth. You see? He's male. Physically never experienced the pain of childbirth. Spiritually, whew, a lot of hurt. Because look at what has happened to the saints in Corinth. Look at what is happening to the saints in Galatia. Pain. I'm losing you guys. I'm losing you guys. You want to go to the law? I'm afraid for you lest I have labor for you in vain. You're turning again to the weak and beggarly elements. You observe the days, the months, seasons, and years. You desire again to be in bondage. I'm losing you guys. Have I lost you already? You see? He says in verse 19, My little children for whom I labor in birth again. Until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now. And to change my tone. <laughs> and to change my tone. Remember, today we live in a snowflake generation. You know, what do you mean change your tone? You know, this wasn't, you know, I've labored for you in vain. That's not enough, Paul. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's not enough, Paul. I marvel that you were turning away so soon from the grace that uh, from the grace of Christ to a different gospel that's that's not enough Paul when Paul says oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth that's not enough Paul we live in a snowflake generation everybody gets their little feelers hurt for little things but Paul says look if i'm with you guys I would change my tone. 
I will change my tone. Because if you want to go back to the law, you are outside of Christ. It's a trap. It's a lie. Don't believe the preacher guys, the Sudadelphos. I tell you the truth. He says, for I have doubts about you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. And he says, for I have doubts about you. I have doubts about you. I'm losing you. You want to go to the law. Remember foolish Galatians in chapter 3, verse 1. Who has bewitched you? Who is it that has seduced you to go to the law? Tell me in verse 21. You who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You see, saints, Christians in Galatia who are deaf. No ears to hear. They believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, there's the Holy Spirit. But they need help in being able to discern and to hear the law. Yes, the law speaks. The law is still holy, absolutely. But it's a lesser glory than the fulfillment of the law. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written, for it is written. Now, notice, it is written. Very important. It is written. Which means what? The saints in Galatia should have read. If it is written, then for you and me, it should be read. Now, it might have been read, but they didn't have a teacher to help them understand. And then enter the Sudadelphos. The Sudadelphos comes in, the Freak Brothers. Oh, let me explain this to you. Let's just start doing the things in Deuteronomy. Let's start doing the things of the law. Horeb. Oh, what a beautiful place that is. Horeb, Mount Sinai. It's so beautiful. No, that's death. That's death. For it is written in verse 22 that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, that's the servant, which is Hagar, who gave birth to Ishmael, the other by a free woman, which is Sarah, who gave birth to Isaac. Now, he's using the example of these two sons as two covenants, which the saints in Galatia don't understand that they're symbolic. And Paul, the teacher, former Pharisee of Pharisees and student of Gamaliel, is now teaching them this. The one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman, which was Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. You see? born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman, which was Isaac, through promise. So now we have this. We have two women, Hagar and Sarah. You have bondage and free. Bond woman and free. And now 
the birth of their children, Ishmael and Isaac. And what do we have? The flesh and promise. You see? Exemplified in these children. And he says this in verse 24. Which things are symbolic. You see? These are things which, you know, Brother Peter says, Peter has, or Paul has wisdom of these things. What we, in the passages we just read. Which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants, Old Testament, New Testament. These are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which is Horeb, which gives birth to bondage. You see, the flesh, the flesh, Horeb, Sinai, which is the law, which is death, which is Hagar. You see, Hagar. Very interesting. Because even in the Torah, captures this in Genesis. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through Genesis. For this Hagar in verse 25 is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Very interesting. He mentions Arabia. He also mentioned that in chapter 1, verse 17 of Galatians. He did not confer with uh, flesh. But he went to Arabia, kind of like left field. Like, wow, you know, you think hey, maybe he'd stay in the vicinity? No, he went to Arabia. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Whoa. That's the law. That's the law which brings death. The law is still holy, but the law is a tutor. Remember our study through Romans 7? But the Jerusalem above. Wait a second. There are two Jerusalems? Well, remember. Bondage and free. Bondage and free. Flesh and promise. Flesh and spirit. So now you see this Jerusalem in verse 25, which now, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But then there's another Jerusalem. But the Jerusalem above is free. And that's Zion. Zion. You see? The Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Translates as the motherland. You know, I like to think of the Russians. You know how Russians, they always speak of Russia. Like, I, I teach from America. We're in America. Now, if you're listening, wherever you are in the world, you know, just know that, you know, this, uh, I teach in America. I'm an American citizen. But, you know, like Russians, you know, the Russians, they always speak of Russia as like the motherland. You know, that's more Irish. <laughs> I don't, I can't do Russian dialecta, but motherland. I don't know how they do it. But they always speak of Russia as like the motherland. And that's how this translates here, which is the motherland of us all, Jerusalem. But it's not Jerusalem proper. Jerusalem above. Jerusalem above. And this is Zion, which is the mother of us all. We have to make this distinction using the law, using the Torah of slave and free. Using the Torah. To understand Horeb, Sinai, to understand Hagar and Sarah, to understand Ishmael and Isaac. 
But the Jerusalem above, in verse 26, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren. He quotes Isaiah. Rejoice, O barren. You say, wait a second. How can Jerusalem be barren? There's all these people. Look at all the people. That's the flesh. What about the promise? When we make this distinction between slave and free, what about the citizenry of the new Jerusalem, which is above Rejoice, O barren, who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. You see? The flesh cannot discern this. The spirit? Absolutely. In closing, we see this in verse 28. Now we, brethren, Paul includes himself, himself here. A former Pharisee, a Pharisee is a student of Gamaliel. He says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, past tense, as Isaac was, speaking of we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. You see? Not of the law, not of the flesh, but of the spirit in accordance to the promise and when you look at the promises, it the promise skips the law. You see? The law has no bearing on the promise, but the law was still a tutor and is a tutor. It's still holy because it serves a purpose to bring us to Christ. Just like the example we gave last week, how the law is used to bring a soul to Jesus Christ? Not that we be seduced to go to the law or be righteous through the law because to understand that that's death. And if righteousness could come to the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Which is a lie. Jesus Christ did not die in vain. In verse 29, he says, but as he who was born according to the flesh. Now, speaking about Ishmael, as he, this is Ishmael, who was born according to the flesh. Then persecuted him. This is Isaac, who was born according to the spirit. Now, this is by promise. Remember, even so it is now, you see. Now, Paul, when he says, I labor in, in uh, uh, when he says, uh, 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 my little, in verse 19, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Is he losing them? Is he losing? The argument can be made. He was on the verge of losing the saints in Galatia. And Paul is saying, don't be like the seducer who bewitched you and who's courting you, don't be like him. He says, be like me. Remember verse 12? I urge you to become like me so that the saints in Galatia can understand. And when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ or follow me as I follow Christ, understand that where this servant of the Lord is going Paradise. You see? Paradise. 
He doesn't say, follow me, uh, because he wants, you know, all these followers. He wants his social media to have, you know, two million followers. No. He says, follow me. I'm going to paradise, and I want you to be there. Follow me. Come on, let's go. We're going to paradise. We're going to Zion. We're going to the New Jerusalem. Come on, we're going to the promised land. And in order to go to the promised land, Horeb, Mount Sinai, it's in the rearview mirror. To go to the law is to do a U-turn. Go in the wrong direction. Hey guys, you're going the wrong direction. We're going to paradise. In order to go to paradise, you got to leave Horeb. You got to leave the law. You see? In verse 30, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Now, what does the scripture say? Brilliant. These are things that bring. Remember in, 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 in verse uh, 22, for it is written. If it is written, the Bereans must know. Because they're Bereans. Study the scriptures. He poses the question in verse 30. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Now, babies, what does the scripture say? They won't even know. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. You see? Oh, that's so mean. How dare you cast out the bondwoman? These are people who don't have this understanding of Scripture in accordance with the Spirit because the Spirit reveals the promise is not effectuated. You see? The promise is effectuated by faith according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Oh, cast out the bondwoman and her son. That's so mean. That's so mean. They don't understand. They teach on things on which they ought not to teach. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So you say, wait a second. Does that mean that they're predestined to not good things? No, not at all. Because remember, in accordance to the law, the law has provisions. The law has provisions which present a door. You see? A door which Jethro took. Manju grafted in. In verse 31, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman. You see? That's the mountain of the law, which is death, but of the free Horeb, Sinai? No. There's a better mountain. Turn with me in closing to Hebrews chapter 12, speaking of this better mountain. In Hebrews 12, verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Remember, the Jerusalem above. In Galatians 4, the Jerusalem above, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable innumerable company of angels. Notice the population here. (laughs) An innumerable company of angels. Whoa. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. I love this so much. Remember, it's so beautiful. This is to the firstborn. According to the Spirit, not and according to the not according to the law. According to the law, there's there's no citizenship 
of this better mountain according to the law. It's only according to the Spirit, which is by promise, not of the law. The church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect or made complete. That's us, a people of the way, a remnant of these last days, moving on to perfection. And in moving on to perfection, look at verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, not the old covenant. The old covenant is Horeb. And to the Sinai, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. You see? The spirit of Satan, the spirit of Antichrist, leads away from Jesus, leads away from abiding in Christ. And it could be for babies, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of Satan leads to the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and the things of the flesh. But that's easy. That's the easy. If, if, if that's how Satan lures you, that's a sign that you're a piece of cake for him. That's a sign that you're a baby. But if Satan lures you with scripture, that's a sign of maturity. But you have to understand the scriptures. What does the scripture say? It is written. Bereans must know these things and not just know, have an understanding of these things. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. You see, in order to refuse Jesus Christ, you have to turn your back to Jesus Christ. And that's what the saints in Galatia were doing. And Paul says, my little children, I labor in, I labor for you again. I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. Understand what this mountain Horeb and Sinai represents. Understand the earthly Jerusalem and understand the new Jerusalem, which is a better mountain, a heavenly Jerusalem. And notice the population, the innumerable company of angels. In verse 25, for if they, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. And this is what the saints in Galatia were doing. The saints in Galatia were turning away from Jesus Christ and lending ear to the pseudodelphos, the fake brothers, the ministers of Satan, saying, hey, let's go, let's do Leviticus, let's do Deuteronomy, let's do Numbers. You see, if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, in verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I, I shake not only earth, but also heaven. You see, these are things which will happen in the last days. Shaking, the jolting, tribulation to rock everybody's world. You know, you're you know, you're a sex head, rock your world. You're a Calvinist, rock your world. You're Buddhist, rock your world. You see, 
Your Hebrew roots rock your world so that you can realize that what your belief is in will not save you. See? These are things which will happen. They will come to pass. Now this, in verse 27, yet once more indicates the removal of those things which are being, the, the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken, and that's you and me standing firmly on the rock of salvation, the things which cannot be shaken, the Pauls, the Priscilla's, the Achilles, the Chloe's, the Stevens, the Phillips, standing firmly, being immovable, cannot be shaken, may remain. You see? Therefore, since we are, not if, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire in the Old Testament. He never changes. He never changes. But we must understand, make this distinction between the Jerusalem on earth and the Jerusalem above. You see? Bondage, slave and free, law and flesh. Uh, flesh and uh, promise, flesh and spirit. You see, the better mountain, Mount Zion, and the citizenship, and innumerable company of angels. You say, wait, I'm not an angel, so I can't be there. Wait a second. Don't forget the glorified body, my friend, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. Don't forget the glorified body. Let us all abide in Christ, the fulfillment of the law, and grow in the richness of his mercy, his grace, and his love, and understand that, yes, this battle is set before us, but where are the fighters? Where are the warriors of these last days? And I pray it's us. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.